local USCW 3000. We are the union. The union is us. Welcome to our local UFCW 3000 podcast. I'm Michaela, and I'm here with John Waring, who's going to tell us all about how he unionized Grace Harbor Community Hospital, which is now Harbor Regional Health, and educate us all on how that process went. So I started to work at Grace Harbor Community Hospital when it was a private nonprofit in 1976. At that point in time, I made less than $5 an hour and made less than $10,000 the first year I worked here. Now, many of you will say that was a long time ago, which it was, but the wages were still very poor then. At that time, Grace Harbor was highly unionized. The starting position in a sawmill would be seven or eight bucks an hour. And most of the retail clerks working at Safeway and such places were making around five bucks an hour. So me having a bachelor's degree, I was a little bit incensed. And seeing that unions may help you with your wages and working conditions. So in 1979, I was contacted by an organizer from UFCW. And at that time, it was Local 900 Northwest Economic Council. And it was a new union. NEC had been founded somewhere around 1975. And somewhere between there and 1979, they uh, affiliated with UFCW to get more leverage and have access to legal expertise and various other things. So I was pretty susceptible when the organizer first came around So did they seek you out or did you seek them out? They were just contacting people generally. They were hanging out in the cafeteria and somebody had given them my name. I don't know who, but Mm -hmm. I surely they gave their spiel and I was pretty receptive to it. And we started a campaign for, at that time, the professional unit. The dietary and the service maintenance folks were already organized. They had actually been organized by UFCW 367. And when the tech unit went union sometime between there and 1979, they picked up the 
service and maintenance folks at the hospital for UFCW from 367 because they were their primary. We Hospitals were our primary bread and butter. Mm -hmm. And they thought we could represent them better. So early in 1979, we held an election. We prevailed. And at that point, then we got our first contract that mostly just locked in the stuff we had, gave us a salary grid that increased our wages based on longevity and that um, gave us a cost of living allowance. Mm -hmm. Gradually, over the next several years, we organized the rest of the hospital except for the nurses and the LPNs. The LPNs kind of came late to the party in the uh, middle to late 80s when their president voted to merge with UFCW. And so we got the LPNs at that point. So then they had been represented with the LPN Association, which at that time was very much like the RN Association or WSNA as it's known today. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how we organized. And then after the organization, you have to get your first contract. So I was on the bargaining committee for negotiating the contract. And that took a fair amount of time. But by October of 1979, we had our first contract for the professional unit. And I then became a shop steward for the professional unit. That's cool. It took us a while to get a common date for contracts. For a long time, we uh, negotiated the contract separately for probably five to 10 years, maybe longer before we actually got them to have a common expiration date. Oh, really? It's at that point then that we started to bargain all of the contracts together. That's weird that they had them separate. You had to have been a bargaining table almost every year then with that many contracts. Yeah. Well, we did. I was not because I was the professional unit steward. Mm -hmm. And so I just was involved in negotiating under normal circumstances. Occasionally, if there were problems, they bring me in to speak. But for the most part, each one of the units had their own bargaining committee and bargained their own stuff. When you had to bargain separately and then you began to bargain together, did it make the bargaining process easier once yeah. you guys grouped them all well, together and a little more? So it, it, it doesn't make it easier. It gives you more leverage with the employer, mm -hmm. but it also means that there has to be more compromise. You know, so each one of the bargaining units had different things that they wanted and that are specific only to the bargaining units. Mm -hmm. You know, for instance, few of the professional folks took call by this point in time, but surely most of the imaging folks, the respiratory therapy folks, and many of the other technical unit members were taking calls. So call, standby, minimum, that was all big for them. That was not so important to professional or business office folks. And everybody has their own particular things they want, but everybody wants some more money. And so the rule we always used was whatever gives the most good to the most number of people is where we're going to go. Right. Whatever's going to benefit everyone yes. as a whole, not yes. just our individual and departments. Individual members don't always see it that way. So, you know, we had members who were redlined because they were above the 
highest pay scale and they would get a fixed increase rather than a percentage until they uh, actually got to the top of the scale with everybody else. Mm-hmm. And truly, there were some folks that weren't very happy about that. One of the folks joked about she was tired of her nickel increases. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand that. But when you do a union, it's give and take with the best of everybody. And that means that sometimes those folks in surgery or in the laboratory or in pharmacy don't necessarily get specific things that they would like. It's really difficult during bargaining to deal with that kind of criticism because we've sat at that table for so long bargaining and just fighting for things that small wins to us are huge wins at that point. And Mm -hmm. we can't make everyone happy. It's impossible. We would love to give everyone everything that they want, but realistically, that's not going to happen. And it's very much like what you said, it is a give and a take system. Sometimes even just a small increase is the best that we can get, but that small increase is something. It's better than no increase, which is what would happen if we didn't have a union contract, right? right? We wouldn't have any increases. You'd still be getting paid that low wage scale. And, you know, we always, no matter what, the union has, I think it is sometimes overlooked, but it has just cause language. Yes. That means that just because your supervisor doesn't like you, they can't necessarily just go and get rid of you. I remember being in a grievance meeting one time where the manager of the department was complaining about this employee. They were disciplining them. They weren't actually going to fire them, but they were going to give them a two-week suspension. And they were going on about he's doing this and he's doing that. And he knows he shouldn't be doing that. And I just asked a few questions. I said, so when was his last performance evaluation? Well, his last performance evaluation was like three years ago. And then I said, so what do you have in terms of counseling and talking to him and other documentation? They had none of that. And at that point in the grievance, HR and the manager went out. They had a brief discussion and that was the end of the grievance. He had no discipline whatsoever because they hadn't used progressive discipline on him. And the idea that everybody's supposed to know the employer's expectations, that's supposed to be clearly communicated in a fair and, you know, objective manner. And if that's not happening, then that's going to be a problem when you go to discipline somebody. Yeah. Yeah. There's a number of people at the hospital that still, most of them are gone, but there's still one or two of them that they have their job because the employer was ready to fire them. And we fought for them and kept their job and they worked there for another 10, 15 years Mm -hmm. and were good employees. So that's, that's surely one of the things I think that um, sometimes gets undersold. You know, it It often gets, the union often takes a bad rap because, you know, we help people who some folks think aren't necessarily good employees keep their job. But we only do that if the supervisor is not doing their job and if their supervisor has not given the employee the chance they need. The supervisor's job is to be clearly communicating expectations, to clearly be communicating what the deficiencies are with the employee's performance, and if necessary, set up a plan where they review that and see how that's going. And all too often, supervisors, um, that simply is not 
their highest priority. And they have, I, I like to say they have the straw that broke the camel's back is kind of how it works. Mm -hmm. So they let employees do whatever the hell they want to for quite some time. And then finally, when they get tired of it, they just all of a sudden want to fire them instead of actually when the person starts to show that behavior to counsel them and to hold them accountable. But exactly. I think one of the things there's a problem in healthcare these days is holding people accountable. And I think that's especially true on many managers who just do whatever the hell they want to. And that everybody from the supervisor all the way up to the CEO are simply not held accountable for providing ethical, quality patient care. And it's a huge problem in our industry. It is a huge one because they don't look at that. All they focus on, in my opinion, is honestly the dollar bottom line right. and how they can benefit and move up. They yep. focus very little on the employee and how to, like you said, counsel the employee and correct that behavior. And if they don't track it when they start seeing it, that's on them. That's not on us. That's not on the union. That's not on the employees. That's on management. Right. And, and truthfully, they... They look at employees, like you said, as a cost center yes. and not actually as their most valuable resource, exactly. which is what they really are. And I don't think all too often managers have a clue about the difference between a good employee and a bad employee, except that obviously if you never show up and you have absentee issues, then that's a huge red flag. But there are also legitimate reasons for absentee issues, but being a good employee means more than just going there, showing up and just showing up for work because we're expected to show critical thinking and they're not paying us the money we are to just show up and punch a clock. And I think all too often that really as long as the employee is showing up on clock and is not necessarily using all of their skills, um, then that's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, so so that's a problem. Basically, the whole healthcare system is just broken. And I think anybody that works in the industry knows that. But that's a subject for a different conversation. They didn't know it time. yet. They should. They'll figure yep. it out mm -hmm. real quick. But yeah, absolutely. Speaking of just that subject in general, you saved your lab department from being outsourced before, haven't you? Well, I wouldn't say saved. I would say that surely, you know, we, we've had a couple, and you know this, a couple of hard negotiations mm -hmm. where the the hospital is, is particularly our hospital, Grace Harbor. Time has not been good to Grace Harbor. Um, it's no longer highly unionized like it used to be. Yeah. There's high unemployment and our reimbursement is pretty poor. The folks that be have not come up with any initiatives to solve any of these problems, at least in terms of the long term. So the patients suffer, the employees suffer, communities like Ocean Shores has no health care to speak of, except for a CMAR clinic. Given that they're paying taxes to us, they really should have some type of a ambulatory care clinic. There also should be one somewhere in Aberdeen, Hope William, Cosmopolis as yeah. well, but there's not. And until the folks that are leading us take some responsibility for making some changes with the legislature to our reimbursement, instead of just kind of hanging with the Washington State Hospital Association and the big boys, 
then we have problems. So I don't anticipate any of this stuff getting solved anytime soon. Yeah, which is unfortunate. You know, you, you one of the questions I've been asked is about the administration's reaction to the organizing process and the union. You know, I have to say that in the early years, they most of the supervisors were supportive. The administration was pretty neutral. Mm-hmm. I would say through the years, administrations and the general seen in healthcare has gotten to be more anti-union. They fight us more on the organizing drives. They fight us more in negotiations. And then they are perfectly capable of outsourcing our departments. And we've surely seen the physical therapy at Grace Harbor outsourced. We've seen the business office outsourced. We've seen the nursing home simply closed. I think that it's part of the ongoing idea that you can cut your way into profitability. And I think that until they come up with a way of having more revenue, that they're never going to cut their way to profitability. You know, they've cut all the fat. They're now cutting muscle in many locations. And what you end up with is folks in Grays Harbor that increasingly have to go to Olympia for their health care. It's sad to be not only part of the process when I worked there, but also to see it externally right? and watch it continue to happen because it's unfortunate that they don't seem to really learn from some of their mistakes or make the important changes. And I think a lot of it has to do with ignorance, to be honest. For example, the CEO of the facility. If anyone is running a business, I don't care what business it is, and you are the CEO, you should understand every job and what it entails for all of your employees and how it intertwines with other jobs and how it makes your company run, right? You should know the in and outs of everything. And they don't, and they don't have an appreciation for that. And I think that is where it comes into play because they don't understand how important the respiratory therapists are, the nurses are, the lab technicians are, our phlebotomists, our housekeeping, our engineering department. All of those departments are really dependent on each other. And when they cut back on that structure, and cut back on wages and don't put in enough effort to make things better for those employees and encourage them to stay, they're not going to, and it's going to continue to fail. Well, see, and Grace Harbor has always historically had to pay basically wages that are not necessarily equal, but probably within 75% of the Seattle standard, simply to attract folks to the rural areas. We get some folks who have roots here that are pretty well attached, but even for those folks, you know, we have a ton of healthcare workers like you that are now driving to Olympia. You can go to Shelton. Um, Mm -hmm. My next door neighbor has worked at Shelton. She's now working at Summit. I mean, everybody has options. And if you simply are not, um, I mean, I think paying a living wage is the basis but then you after that you have to treat you know that's kind of how you get how you recruit the employees is based on wages but you keep them based on the way that you treat them um, whether you make them feel wanted whether you give them the resources that they need in order to actually do their job and you know i retired in the first time right after COVID in 2020, around this time of year. And within six months, I went back to work uh, instead of as a line employee, as the laboratory manager. 
because I was pretty concerned that the laboratory manager was simply unable or unwilling to do the job that needed to be done. And she was running the laboratory into the ground. And my concern was, yeah, that it would be outsourced. And so I agreed to take the job. It was a very interesting job. It was very fulfilling. Um, Truth of the matter is, I'm probably not the best management person. I'm not always the team player that folks would like me to be. Because when I see bullshit, I call bullshit, and that doesn't always make me the most favorite son of folks. I don't think um, that's a bad thing. <laughs> so, yeah, well, and that, but that all depends on who you are and where you are. But it was, I, I met some people. I surely learned working the other side. I think HR thought that it would be interesting and that it would be great to have me not be a union pain in that. <laughs> but, and I think that in actuality, I was probably more of a pain in the butt as a manager than yeah. I ever was as a union guy. Because as a union guy, the grievance procedure and what you're allowed to do is pretty much well-defined under the contract and by labor law. And as a manager, I don't already been retired. I didn't need the job. I could quit anytime. And I think they knew that. And as long as I was doing a reasonable job, then it was going to be a pain in the butt to try and find somebody to fill my job. Luckily, I have a little different being a union guy. I have a different uh, philosophy on both leadership, but particularly on hiring. I believe in hiring within. And I was lucky that there was a younger person who was interested in the job. It will be interesting to see how long they last before they take opportunities to continue to move somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But it was a great opportunity for them. Um, I'm glad they took it because I've been here a long time. I have a lot of friends at the hospital and I surely did not want the hospital or the laboratory to shut down. Yeah. I think you stepping in really saved that. And I think it would have been tragic to lose our laboratory department if you wouldn't have stepped up to do it. Because honestly, there wasn't really a lot of people willing to take that on. It was a massive project. For me, starting with the union has started a role of activism within the community. Mm -hmm. So I started out organizing the union and then, uh, or helping to organize the bargaining unit and then becoming a shop steward. And then after a while, I became kind of a super steward type person where I not just took care of grievances in my bargaining unit, but in everybody's bargaining unit. And I would routinely take care of grievances to up to step two or step three. And then the business agent would come in and take over it after that as we got ready for arbitration so they could make sure all the T's were signed and I's were dotted. But from there, I became a delegate to the Central Labor Council, which is the AFL-CIO affiliate of different unions. And so at that point in time, all of the counties have one. You've probably heard of King County Labor Council or Pierce County Labor Council. But Grays Harbor had a labor council um, of approximately 25 different unions. And I represented there for a number of years. And then I was asked to be the treasurer. And so I ran for the treasurer. And then sometime in the mid 80s, I became the labor council president. And I held that role for 
probably a good 30 years. And through that, I represented organized labor at um, county commissioner meetings. Mm -hmm. I represented organized labor on Grays Harbor in the various city councils. I represented them. I testified on legislation, both for organized labor generally and for the UFCW. Um, it's probably it. Weddings and funerals are probably the only reason I have a sport coat. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I did that. From that, I started to serve on various boards as folks got to know me. And I've always tried to see both sides of an argument. Right. So... I try not to be dogmatic, but pragmatistic or a pragmatist and have always looked at both sides. So eventually they asked me to serve on the Economic Development Council, to serve on the Workforce Training Board, which in the 90s and early 2000s did a lot for all of the displaced timber workers. And there was a lot of training and college stuff. And I did that. I served on the Workforce Training Board of the college. And then from there, in the late 90s, the governor appointed me to be a trustee at Grace Harbor College. And I did that for about 10 years. In fact, I was the president when we hired Ed Brewster as president, but we had a different president at the time. And one of the reasons the other unions um, and the State Labor Council lobbied heavily to have me appointed was because the union for the teachers um, the AFT was having issues with and did not get along with the administration. So I got appointed to the board to be able to vocalize those issues. And I have generally used my position on my various boards in the community to do just that to vocalize the union perspective and to just kind of advocate for workers generally. And in the college, one of the things that was a bit of a mess when I got there, well, there's a few things. They were not spending on capital equipment and, you know, at a place like a college, that doesn't work well. It doesn't um, they don't have seniority. Instead, they have tenure at the college. Mm -hmm. So basically, you kind of go through a two-year program. And at the end of that, you are expected to give tenure. Well, they were having basic problems that they weren't communicating. They didn't have clear guidelines for giving tenure. They didn't do clear evaluations during the time. And so there are a couple cases where all of a sudden somebody should be getting tenure and the administration didn't want to give it to them. Mm -hmm. And so the board had to have a discussion and simply formalize the process so that nobody all of a sudden in their last quarter should be finding out that the college doesn't want to give them tenure when this should have been being addressed long ago and early on. So right. I worked through a number of that stuff. I very much enjoyed my time at the college. Mm -hmm. um, I've got to meet a lot of community leaders. Um, my latest thing was until I went back and became a manager, I was a representative to the Grace Harbor Community Foundation that probably has about $1 million in assets and gives out probably 150 scholarships every year. They're four-year wow. scholarships. It also does fundings for schools and other nonprofits. 
And the surprising thing is, is that for as poor as Grays Harbor County is, um, the Grays Harbor Community Foundation actually has a fair amount of money for a community our size. And a lot of it comes from old timber money. Mm -hmm. that the old timber families are gradually passing away and they all don't have heirs and spouses to give them to. So there's a fair amount of philanthropy on that, folks. And then the community foundation uses that for everything from support of apprenticeship programs and pre-apprenticeship programs and other things, Um, college technical things programs. They funded a x-ray room at Summit, miscellaneous things like that. Yeah, but helpful. I mean, an x-ray room benefits everyone. Yes. I had no idea you were on all of those boards. How did you ever have a day off? Well, and that's kind of why I've, (laughs) in retirement, haven't been doing much. Um, Your second retirement. (laughs) Yes, because I was, you're right, I was busy. I mean, one of the things I didn't mention is that for 20 years, I was, as the UFCW was growing, I went, drove to Seattle after work on what, the first Tuesday, the first Tuesday, on one day a month, I drove up to Seattle at seven o'clock while I left work at five, got up there at seven, attended a board meeting until nine, sometimes 10, and then I turned around and came home. And uh, I did that for years. Also, when I was a trustee, there were trustees meetings in Seattle. There were state labor council meetings in Seattle. The union meetings for UFCW were the most frequent. And I started out by being a board member on Local 9000. So a little bit of history for Local 3000 is... The healthcare part of it started out as Northwest Economic Council, and it did that in the mid-70s. Um, shortly after that, it affiliated with the UFCW and became UFCW, Northwest Economic Council, UFCW Local 900. And then after about 10 years or so, and my timelines may be a little fuzzy, they merged into the retail non-grocery local in Seattle. and. I get the numbers mixed up. I think it was 1101. And then another 10 years later, they merged with the grocery local to be um, whatever we were prior to 3000. 21. 21? Before 3000. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was UFCW 21. Yes. Okay. Anyway. And then finally we merged to become 3000. And so we started out with about 2,000 members. I have served on all of those boards except for UFCW 3000. Mm-hmm. I have watched our membership grow. The healthcare membership particularly was about 2,000. The last time I checked when we were still UFCW 21, healthcare was about a third of our membership. And we were at, we had about 40,000 members in the whole union. Mm -hmm. I don't know what we're at for 3,000 now. But yeah, I mean, I've paid my dues. I've been busier than hell. I mean, I've been a community activist for labor, not just at the hospital, but basically almost everywhere. And I have not opted to run for the legislature, but I've surely been active in legislative politics. I've been active as labor council president in some of the very divisive congressional politics 
in the late 80s and the early 90s over mm-hmm. Spotted Owl. And I'm just kind of pushing 70 at this point, And I'm kind of ready to putz around in my garden and do some things on my house and have a little more me time. And I think the wife has also probably earned that as well. There was a time when I had at least one and often two meetings a week, every week. That's just what I did. And since I gave up the trustee position at the college five or 10 years ago as president of the labor council, probably five years ago, I have gradually just withdrawn from much of my community activity. I mean, I still vote, still pay attention to politics. I still write letters. I just don't leave the house and do a whole lot of demonstrations or meetings or stuff anymore. You still give great advice. You helped push and get me on the HCAP, the healthcare advisory board. which I didn't know you founded until I finally got to go to an in-person one. We were all kind of getting to know each other and we were all talking about where we were from. And as soon as they heard that I was from Grace Harbor, you were the first person they all brought up. They said, oh, well, you must know John Waring. I said, I absolutely do. (laughs) How do you know John Waring? And then that's when I found out that you were the founder of that board. Well, you know, I was one of the founding members, but surely, and I have always pushed for a healthcare advisory board. We have had it informally in various places, on and off with the different unions. But, you know, it was Dave and Diane at that point where we were getting big enough that they thought that it needed to be a formalized thing to talk about where we were going with, um, you know, to help standardize some of the stuff, kind of come up with best practices for contract language. Yes. And so Pam Blomman did a lot of the initial work for best practices for contract language. And that's always good when you're negotiating contracts. We also did a lot of determining our legislative agenda. Mm -hmm. And then we did education for the various healthcare members as well. There was always an integral part of education for the activists in the union. And I have to say one of the most interesting ones we ever had was when we had a couple of attorneys that um, talked about what happens when errors happen due to being understaffed and how generally the licensing agencies and the courts do not hold the employer accountable for any of that. But that is your personal responsibility. If you do not stand up and tell them that I can't take care of these many patients, Mm -hmm. then you're responsible for saying I made an error because I had too many patients, they're not going to find to be an acceptable excuse. That you're going to get hung out to dry by the employer. You may well lose your license. We surely, the attorneys that we talked to had represented a number of folks in these situations and it's just mess. So I think a whole lot of the folks, even on the board, were absolutely flabbergasted by that. I'm a bit of a cynic, so none of that stuff surprises me. But some of <laughs> these this. folks were just absolutely shocked. Yeah, and uh, it's a sad reality, and it's yeah. still a common issue. And I have, as I'm sure you have as well, been on that end where you're overworked and overwhelmed and put in those situations. Yeah. yeah. I've enjoyed being a part of the healthcare advisory board. Like you said, we do go over contract language a lot, at least every time I've been to a meeting that is brought up. It's, hey, what have we been negotiating in various contracts that is new? What is the holding that we got that we don't have in other contracts and how to standardize it? 
Yeah. And I've always pushed to have somebody from down here because I think it's a important process of the union. And in some respects, I think it's probably even better than being on the board, although being on the board is good. But the board tends to be a lot of dollars and cents, numbers. Mm -hmm. You make some big decisions. Like we decided at one point that instead of continuing to rent our hall, we would buy a hall bought by the strike fund. So then if we were collecting rent in the hall, that mm-hmm. all went into the strike fund. Mm-hmm. We would put the regular rent that, that we would have paid into the strike fund. Well, of course, doing this in Seattle is kind of a no-brainer because you buy right. a piece of property and pretty soon it's worth three times what you paid for it. Mm-hmm. But when you go on strike, we always set up a line of credit against the properties mm-hmm. so that if we needed to, we could take a loan. We could fund our strike fund with the loan of credit from the properties until the strike was over. That makes sense. It's a good and, and that's that. especially important for the grocery workers that we represent. UFCW 3000 represents because they're huge numbers of folks. And when they go out on strike, they tend to go out on strike for a long time. And to some extent, that's why we got merged with the grocery local. One of their strikes simply hit them financially too hard. They did the strike and they did everything, but they were permanently weakened after that. And then they merged with us. So and that's how we became the United Food Workers Union? Well, no, that's that happened long ago. That happened even before 1980. But that's how we merged with the uh, just the locals, oh, okay. the grocery local and the retail local. See, and, and the retail and the healthcare side have always aggressively organized. Mm-hmm. The grocery store folks have not done that so much. And currently there's a huge fight within the international about the discussion of how much organized we should do. And organizing is our bread and butter. And quite frankly, in healthcare, many of the folks that need to be organized the most are organized, a.e. nursing homes. Mm-hmm. because those folks just get dumped on all the time. They have poor wages, poor working conditions. Right, poor health insurance. Actually, you know, I think all healthcare workers have terrible health insurance. And that's something that I talked about with my husband before because it blew his mind when I showed him the breakdown of what our health insurance was like. He looks at me and goes, you work at a healthcare facility. You should have the best healthcare insurance. And oh, I agree I with him. We I, absolutely should, but it's not the reality. If I, if I, had, if I, if I had a dime for every time I argued that on the bargaining committee, yeah. I would be rich. I mean, <laughs> things that they don't want to do, they don't want you to have good healthcare insurance. They certainly they, don't want you They don't want to pay dependent coverage. Mm-hmm. God you forbid know? you actually use your healthcare insurance. Yeah. How dare you? Now you're using it. You're costing us money. Yep. Gosh, they they were terrible. It wasn't until I was on the bargaining team and we started negotiating healthcare insurance that I realized that because I didn't understand how that system worked. I figured if you go with healthcare insurance, it was the company that decided what the employee pays versus the employer. I didn't know that that's something that we had to negotiate in bargaining. And that was a big eye-opening thing. And to see what they wanted to give us. Oh, yeah. Gosh. Yes. Well, and really, and, and you know, it's especially, you know... It's one thing when you're a professional worker or a nurse who's making $80,000, $90,000 a year, but all of those service maintenance folks work that are making less than $20 an hour, you know, mm-hmm. the insurance costs just eat them alive. 
And, you know, unions have lost power over the last 20 years, has dramatically affected healthcare, education, almost anything, and not to the better. In many ways, we're like a third world country as opposed to countries in Europe or someplace like that where, you know, the cost of a higher education these days is absolutely outrageous. It is just ridiculous. And then the fact, instead of providing higher education free or at a nominal charge, we offer them low interest loans that they cannot bankrupt out of that they have for life, that the federal government underwrites, but the banking and the financial services industry just makes huge amounts of money on. And it's just truly sad. And what are some common misconceptions regarding our union that we haven't already covered? Probably the only thing that I would say is there's also a perception that the union is not always a good trustee of the member's money. And I would say that in my experience, the members surely get their money's worth out of it. And I'll just use this as an example. When I first started at Local uh, 900, there were two staff members. There was the president and the business agent. And the business agent was brand new. We'd only gotten her within the last three months or so. And so all of the rest of the unions would go to a, there's a regional conference, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, and Alaska. And so they would hold it at different locations. And when they held it in Sun River, we got a scholarship. We would rent a house with the other locals. Everybody could have a bedroom. It was cheap. We would cook for um, the various picnics and stuff that would happen. And then the international would pay instead of the local because the local was dirt poor. Mm-hmm. One of the conferences that I went to was... Um, how to research nonprofits. And of course, you got to realize this is before the internet. Everything was available on the web. Right. At this point, and when you did the research, you either went to the library and went through microfiches or other things in the library, or because the hospital was a nonprofit, they had a public available form called a 990 that gives the breakdown of how much each one of the top salaries in the institution are making, how much the board members are making, how much the administration is making. Now, what you had to do to do that is you have to send 20 bucks into the IRS and then wait three bucks to get it back. But I routinely did this before negotiations, and I still remember a administrator being absolutely flabbergasted when I threw his salary out there in terms of his increases versus ours. And I said, hey, dude, that's a public document. You know, it's not like this is some secret stuff. This is a public document. You want me to show you it on the paper? I can. I'd be more than happy to. But if it's not a true statement, then you're committing tax fraud. So it's (laughs) your choice. Absolutely. So, so, and I got taught many things, particularly as the union's gotten bigger. I think it's got lots of opportunities for people who would like to make a difference in, in where we're at as a society and at work. And UFCW 3000 offers many different types. Yes. You know, you can be a steward, you can be on a bargaining committee, you can be on the healthcare committee, you can be a board member. There's a ton that you can do. They love volunteers. 
yeah. uh, like you're doing. And I took advantage of, I was a volunteer organizer and worked in Olympia for three months on leave from the hospital with the union paying me in order to work for Capital to get their first contract. And just for some background, Capital used to be owned by HCA, which was a very notorious for-profit hospital corporation. And in the Southeast had gotten into a significant amount of Medicare problems. And because I was a labor council president, I knew a lot of the folks in Olympia. And I just went to union meetings, to public forums, to everybody, just talking about what our issues were. I did TV shows. You know, I've been able to speak on radio or do things like the podcast. I, I've enjoyed that personally. I think the other misperception is that it's not like, um, you know, you're going to pay your dues, but the union is not like an insurance policy. Mm-hmm. If the members don't stand up and put something into it, and all they do is pay their dues, then it will be worth less than if they put some time into things. And it's kind of like politics. Voting is kind of the minimum thing that you do, but there's occasions when you probably need to get out there, knock on doors, call board members, tell the school board folks they're screwed up, that the teachers need a contract. And, you know, sometimes you just get out of things what you put into things. Yeah, you have to participate. You can't just expect something to continue without participation and without some kind of... And I don't think unions work without participation of the rank and file. Absolutely. That's absolutely my personal. And I'm lucky because I believe that USCW 3000 believes in that as well. And that Faye is a very excellent, very progressive president who believes that. And that has been one of the hallmarks of the healthcare folks through my 40 years of being in the union. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you said all that. And I think that's great information. And for anyone who has questions on how to get more involved, go to UFCW3000.org. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And thank you for listening. Have a fabulous day.